Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon and welcome back to another session of Real Estate Investing Hot Trends. I'm Arthur and welcome to this show. And we're so happy to be seeing a lot of familiar faces as well as new ones. We're just going to give everybody a minute to settle down, maybe grab a, you know, a cup of coffee, a glass of water, or pro probably your, your early dinner today. So we want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy. We have an amazing speaker with us today. And usually we talk about... Um, you know, properties and, and um, you know, the processes on how to acquire them. But today we're going to be talking about tax-free wealth. For a lot of us, you know, once we get things going on, um, you know, once properties are in place and some of you may have already a dozen or more, you know, wealth starts to build up. And sometimes we ask the question, you know, is, there, is it possible to have tax-free wealth? And we're going to answer that question today. And of course, uh, we're going to be um, introducing to you our speakers for the succeeding weeks. So let me go ahead and share my screen. There we go. So ladies and gentlemen, once again, welcome. So we have with us today, Mr. Michael Plax. We are so excited to be hearing from him. And you know, he's also known as the black belt in real estate taxation. More of him later on. For next week, we are gonna be having once again, Mr. Paul Fink, and he's gonna be talking about negotiations, riches, stop losing thousands on each deal. And that's gonna be for November 5. And the week after that, on November 12, we have the topic, the future of foreclosures. You know, in the age of pandemic, a lot of things have, you know, not gone the usual way. So we'd like to hear from one of our experts, Mr. Michael Sito. And on November 19, we're going to be talking about why single family rental investing is right for the small investor. And we're going to be having Mr. Noel Christopher to talk about that. And if you're new to Zoom, you know, this is an interactive webinar. We'd love to hear from you. You know, write down to the chat box below whatever um, questions you may have, or better yet, you can raise your hand or put it in the question and answer button right below the panel. And all throughout the show, we'll be putting out some polls and we'd love to hear, you know, what you have to answer in our poll questions. So please um, answer them. For feedback, comments, suggestions, you may email us at investorrelations at realestateiq.co. So ladies and gentlemen, once again, good afternoon. Welcome to Real Estate IQ, number one in deal finding. And welcome to the webinar, Real Estate Investing Hot Trends. I'm Arthur. Thank you all for being with us this afternoon. And this is our agenda for today. We're currently doing the introduction, and later on, I'll be showing you the current hot trends. And we'll be having the Steve's Minutes and Micro Trends in Real Estate to be presented by Mr. Jason Madden, owner of MadLogic. And at 520, we're going to have Tax-Free Wealth Myth or Reality by Mr. Michael Plax, founder of REI Tax Firm. And the last 10 minutes will be dedicated for online networking and question and answer portion. So for those of you who have just tuned into the show, who are we? Well, Real Estate IQ is a technology and data company focused on creating work from home automated systems for the real estate investment community. So for those of you who continue to work to search for your next big deal in real estate, we might just have what you're looking for. 
our vision. You know, success in life is all about positioning. Stay on top of market trends so we can position ourselves to take full advantage and to nurture online networking and build strong relationships. Our mission is to empower your journey to freedom and success. Our core values, integrity, the quality of being honest, being trustworthy, and having strong moral principles. Growth-oriented, it is the belief that you can learn more or get better through hard work, dedication, and perseverance. And champion mindset, you know, champions harbor the ability to cope with setbacks and obstacles. They have the strong will to succeed. And these are the qualities we stand for. And these are our work-from-home automated systems. First, we have the deal analysis with unlimited comps. So for those of you who would like to search for properties and compare them according to location, size, um, this is the deal for you. Or if you'd like one notch higher, that's um, yield finding with over 45,000 motivated seller leads. And we have premium with skip trace emails, phone numbers, and etc. All you need to do is grab your phone to get your next deal. And we have the CRM latest offering, automate your investing business by getting more staff. So CRM stands for customer relationship management. So if you are looking for virtual assistance, you know, we can help you out with that. And we are offering 10 times the growth. Our founders always believe that for every dollar we receive, we want 10 times the value being given back to the clients. And right now we're offering over 70 webinars per month and many of them are for free. And of course, we have 2,500 RSVPs per month and 12,000 active members and 60,000 community members. And this is our business team culture. We're proud and pleased to share with you that REIQ has grown over the months. We are now at 150 employees and assigned to different teams. We have the front and back end development team, data aggregation team, technology operations, marketing, lead generation. We have sales and customer success, customer service team, finance and accounting, investor relations, merger and acquisition, analytics, human resources, and training team. So come and join the REIQ community, free membership. All you need to do is go to our site. Let me go ahead and share the screen again. All you need to do is visit our site at www.realestateiq.co. All right. And we'd like to invite you to our future episodes of this webinar. This actually happens every Thursdays at five o'clock CDT, and we bring you different speakers, different experts every week. And for those of you who love books, we have the Successful Habits Book Club, and that's happening every Wednesday at 5 p.m. CDT. We have Michael Jeftis and Brent Mott, you know, being part of the panel, and we'd love you to come and join us. And once a month, we have this amazing show called Geeks and Nerds in Real Estate, headed by no less than our chief technology officer, Mr. Joseph de la Cruz. And we talk about the latest in technology affecting the real estate industry. So come and join us in our passive investment programs. Stay on top of passive investment opportunities in the real estate IQ community. For program benefits, networking opportunities, etc., all you need to do is visit our site at www.realestateiq.co slash investwithus.
<laughs> Disclaimer, all information in the presentation is intended for educational purposes only. We do not offer investment, financial, or legal advice. And here we are with the current hot trends. In every crisis, there's an opportunity. And indeed, you know, we're in the midst of a, of a crisis right now, and we'd love to seek out opportunities. And there are actually a lot if you know where to look. So let me go ahead and share with you the charts we have for you this week. So the first chart, chart we have is the quarterly rental and home owner vacancy rates. And we're seeing here the historical data all the way from 1997 to the present. So we have the current rental vacancy rate at 6.4%. So that's a good number. It means that there are lesser vacancies now. And we have the homeowner vacancy rate at 0.9%. So for the homeowner vacancy rate, more or less historically, it's been the same. But right now, at this very quarter, it's 0.9%. And this is sourced from the US Census Bureau and Current Population Survey Housing Vacancy Survey, you know, did last October 27, 2020. And here we have the rental vacancy rates by region. So overall in the United States, we have 6.8 from last year. That's third quarter last year. The blues there in the graph indicate third quarter of 2019. The red ones indicate the third quarter of 2020. So overall, we're seeing there more or less the same, but um, throughout the United States, there's a, there's been a dip of 0.4%. And this is our chart for the median asking rent for vacant for rent units from 1997 to 2020. In the third quarter of this year, the median asking rent for vacancy is at $1,160. You're seeing there some gray areas in the chart, and those are actually the periods where we underwent recession. So the first thin chart there before 2002, that's actually the 2001 um, uh, dot-com bubble. And we also had the 911 during that period and some scandals from, from major businesses. And in 2008, we had the housing bubble and uh, that was actually another uh, black swan event. And the third gray area you're seeing is actually for this year, 2020, and that's from the coronavirus pandemic. And the median asking sale price for vacant for sale units is at 234,000, sorry, 234,500. Um, and um, that's the, uh, that is the median asking sales price for vacant for sale units. And for the quarterly home ownership rates and seasonally adjusted home ownership rates, we're currently seeing that at 67.4%. And that's a rate you know, higher uh, compared to 2019, where it was at 64.8%. And we have here the owner, home ownership rates by region. All right. And this song, my dear friends, to talk about how to become a better investor, entrepreneur, and a better person overall, here's the co-founder and CEO of Real Estate IQ, Mr. Steve Liang. So uh, today's topic, we're going to talk about getting your hands dirty. 
and it's about not being afraid to get your hands dirty. You know, sometimes uh, 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 depending on the role and the position that you're in within your team, uh, maybe you're more on a uh, supervisory role uh, and you are not an individual contributor and you want, you know, sometimes uh, maybe it makes sense to uh, leverage other people to get it done. Uh, but there's gotta, there's always situations where it's much better if you do, if you hand, if you do a hands-on, you know, if you roll up your sleeves uh, and uh, you do it because actually um, a lot of times when you when you're personally doing it, you're doing it a lot faster. You're not waiting for somebody to uh, uh, do it and then uh, giving them feedback. And you know, through several iterations, uh, it finally gets to close to where you want it to be uh, because it takes time, you know, uh, the iteration. Sometimes you just don't have the time. So don't be afraid to roll up your sleeve sometimes and you know, get your hands dirty uh, uh, and, and go and get it done. Uh, because it's also a very good process that you can show your team how it gets done. You know, a leader, as a leader, you need to uh, be ready to, to roll up your sleeves and get it done. Um, uh, as we're growing uh, Real Say IQ, man, I want to say that I have uh, done every single post. You know, we, when we were hosting uh, uh, classes, uh, in-person classes, we were... Uh, after the class, we were out there cleaning the tables, you know, setting everything up uh, again for, for the next day. You know, it's about getting your hands dirty. Like when other people are seeing uh, you as a leader, getting your hands dirty, they will also do the same. Uh, and if you just kind of uh, roll, um, whether you, you're folding your hands or you're kind of not uh, doing the work, uh, they are also not as inspired uh, to do it. So it's okay. It's okay to get your hands dirty. It, it's, um, it's part of, I think, um, uh, producing good work because now you're setting an example for your organization to follow uh, and you're not just doing the, the actual work itself, you are setting an example. And that is a very high value added uh, piece uh, that you can add to your organization. All right. Thank you so much, Steve, for that. And this time, let me go ahead and share back my, my screen. This time we're gonna be talking about some specific locations for the micro trends. And allow me to introduce to you the owner of MadLogic, a full stack computer scientist, a scrum master with over 10 years of creating business value through technology and software. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Mr. Jason Madden. Jason, the floor is yours. Hey guys, thank you for having me on. Uh, so Today we're going to talk revisit Houston. Um, we hadn't presented the numbers yet for to get caught up with up through September, uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. So uh, September was up uh, in sales by twenty percent, but down as you can see here by the uh, or excuse me. So it was up twenty percent. You can see here in the pending. The dotted lines are the averages. The blue line is the average uh, pending sales for last year. And it's uh, the line for this year is actually covered up. So in the next slide, we'll show that the 
listings are down over the last month compared to last year. So uh, a couple of the important points to think about here is with having higher sales and lower supply coming on, it's going to cause a, kind of a supply shift. So prices are going to go up just due to what supplies there and more people are kind of interested in buying it. So um, overall for the year, there's been 13% less uh, houses being listed on the market. So they didn't just disappear. COVID's kind of caused people to hold on to what they have. Uh, so sometime we're going to play catch up kind of the law of averages. Uh, so those are going to get put onto the market, maybe people that were holding on and we may see a shift where the prices are going to go down uh, for the market. And then also the mortgages uh, that are at risk of foreclosure and as well as uh, the, the rental properties under the moratoriums are maybe going to enter the market. So probably as things kind of calm down from COVID, the market may kind of burst the bubble and recover. So uh, generally after September, the, the market slows down. Uh, so that's kind of what we are looking at right now. So uh, yes, this is only looking at the single family homes. And uh, so this is all I have to show for Houston. So uh, in the second week of November, we're actually going to go into more of a deep dive for the whole Texas market. I'm going to host a webinar uh, and let's see, that date is November 10th. Uh, so uh, hopefully show that more and then also some try to gear people up for automation and systemization of your workflows. So uh, be kind of looking forward to putting that on. So anyway, that's all I have to share today. And all right, thank you so much, Jason. And this time, my dear friends, we now move on to our topic for today. And it is my pleasure to introduce to you our amazing speaker. He's the founder of REI Tax Firm. And he's also known as the Black Belt in Real Estate Taxation. Mr. Michael Platt is uh, the founder of the REI Tax Firm, a company that provides tax preparation and business advisory exclusively for the real estate investors nationwide since 1996. Michael is a federally licensed enroll agent, the highest professional designation awarded by the IRS. He is a best-selling author, frequently presenting for REI clubs, as well as CPAs and lawyers nationwide. A first-generation Russian immigrant, Michael is an award-winning public speaker, animal rescuer, and enjoys music and martial arts. So, ladies and gentlemen, presenting our speaker, Mr. Michael Plax. Hello, everybody. And uh, as Arthur introduced me, yes, I'm black belt in real estate taxation. See, like, <laughs> I even wear my black belt here, and I wear my red gloves, which on my logo show how we punch out Uncle Sam, who is conveniently social distancing behind me. And what can be better than a week before election having a Russian speaker talking about tax-free wealth when all the focus is on Trump's tax returns at least for some time. And of course I was tempted to go into that, but, we are, but I'm going to skip that temptation. 
Instead, what we are going to do is talk about a couple examples of, from real life. And this is where I come with, an, with a unique perspective and that, uh, for that perspective, I'll take my gloves off. And we're going to talk about real life. This is what I mean by real life. If you are listening to webinars, which all of you are doing and attending events that are starting to come back live these days, uh, luckily we are, we are back, into, back to real live networking and hopefully it will expand and go back to where we used to see it. So on all of these events, we have these speakers who love to talk about tax-free wealth. There is a famous book uh, named Tax-Free Wealth. There are people who brag about having paid zero taxes over 10 years, and I'm not talking about our president. I'm talking about real estate people who believe that they, uh, who, uh, who brag about being tax-free for a long period of time while becoming wealthy. And questions always arise is, how true is this? And here where my perspective comes is, number one, I don't trust people who say those things on recordings, who do webinars and who do stage presentation. Why? Because they're not showing you their information. They are saying that. I can claim anything. You know, I wear a black belt. I can claim that I beat Chuck Norris. Well, you would probably want to see a real video of that before believing me. So the same happens with taxation. Anybody can say anything from stage or in front of their computer camera. And people do, which I know for a fact because I have inside information and I know financials of many of those people who will listen to. And the truth is sometimes distorted and sometimes is outright ignored. So what I have instead is I see hundreds and hundreds of tax returns of real people, of real estate investors. And what I decided to do for this presentation, since we have a fairly short time to look at that, is instead of giving a lecture and talking about all possible tax benefits of real estate, which is information very widely available, I'm going to give you a glimpse of information which is not available anywhere. I'm going to show you some real tax returns, not the returns themselves, but a snapshot which are pulled from my real clients. Some of them may be listening uh, to us right now and recognize numbers things. Oh, wait a second, that, these are my numbers. Okay, they are safe because there is absolutely no identifying information on that. There are just numbers, but behind those numbers are real people, real estate investors, just like you guys, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a background story of these people and what they have done with their tax returns. And hopefully then you can relate to some situations and uh, uh, more and uh, some situation less, maybe get some ideas and get a general feeling of how these things, uh, how they, how these things operate in real life. So right now we are starting with uh, sharing my screen. Arthur, is it okay? Like yes, is, we can see it perfectly. Just making sure it's okay. So on that screen is just my log and introduction. So let's go to our first situation. And here is what we are looking for. This is how not to do tax-free wealth. Okay, this is a return of a real person who happens to be a wholesaler. And what you cannot see from numbers, we accountants can, but I'm going to tell you a story and point to some numbers. This is what is happening. 
Here is a wholesaler who runs his operation through an S corporation. Tax strategy that many of you have heard helps control self-employment taxes, et cetera, et cetera. Again, we are not talking about details of, techno of tax strategies right now. Maybe at some different presentation we'll address that. But in previous year, you can see at the top 2018, this person paid himself 50,000 in salary and had a still 17,000 profit after all of the expenses from wholesale and paid a little bit of taxes. If you look at the bottom, 4,000 in taxes. This year, however, in 19, the, not this year, the prior year, the year before, but the current tax return. So in the year 19, the business took a hit. If you can see, yes, he's still paying himself a salary, but the rest of his wholesaling really didn't work that well at all. You have a negative number, minus 75. Guess how much his taxes are at the bottom? Zero. Yes, so here we have zero taxes, but we also have zero wealth. And besides, this is person is a wholesaler, and I can't repeat it often enough, that wholesaling and flipping is not wealth building. This is a job. And this person has a job, job at which he didn't make money and paid no taxes. Not a way to go about wealth building, even though we have zero taxes. So let's look at right way to do that. And we will start by looking at the right column, which is 19 return. Here is somebody else who exclusively lives off of his real estate portfolio. Okay, almost exclusively. You can see at the top a little bit of salary, 15,000 from something side, which is not worth mentioning. We can ignore that. Very little. Again, I did not bother to sanitize those returns and remove incidental things. Those are real situations, guys. They're like not made up. Real people with real situations. So here in the family, in fact, in this situation, that's a spouse doing a little bit of work, like his wife is having a little bit of a side job for fun mostly. So let's ignore that salary. Salary is not interesting here. So what is interesting here is that that person just has an extensive portfolio, including multiple syndication investments in apartment complexes. So what we have here is there is an interesting line that says rents and royalties. Whether lines rent and royalties reports losses from their personal rental portfolio. These are properties that they held themselves. The next one that says partnerships happens to aggregate all of their investments in various syndications and various passive investments. So in the year 19, if you look at that, even though they had some sales and generated some capital gains of 82,000, with all of those losses, their income was 62,000, which is still a good positive income, even for the tax purposes. And the taxes at the bottom are $200. $254 was the tax of that person. Let's see how much money that person is really making. Here is a clue. And that's why reading tax returns, the way people are trying to glance into politicians' tax returns, right? Trying to make a conclusion, how much money people are really making? You know what, you, you can't tell. I happen to know because I know this client. By, by this tax return, you cannot tell. This is what we are seeing. This is for a fact. 15,000, a little bit of salary, yes. 11,000, some interest, yes, that is clear. 82,000 of capital gains, yes, that is real income. 
16,000 distribution from some pension. Okay, all of that is real income. But what does 40,000 negative means on rents? Means absolutely nothing for cash flow. This person in reality is making about quarter million in cash flow from his passive portfolio. But you cannot see it. Why? Because what we are seeing here is a result for tax purposes, net taxable income, which is after various deductions, various accounting gimmicks. Of course, there is depreciation and all other kinds of stuff. For example, what happens when he sold some properties, and you can see it by capital gains, he might have some passive losses that were from prior years that were released. So not really an impediment to his current cash flow. So what we have here is a person who is making about quarter million cash flow from his investments in 19 has taxable income of 62,000 and still pays taxes of essentially zero. Now, this is what people are talking about, but keep in mind two things which is interesting to see here. Number one, this is a person who is exclusively living off of passive investments, not a flipper, not a not an employee of any company, not a, an accountant or attorney, just, an, just a passive investor. Also notice that he does not always have a free ride. That's why I specifically picked up that person. Look at the previous year. The numbers in the previous year in 18 are very different, very different for a reason. What happened in 18 is one of the syndications where that person invested money cashed out, they sold their uh, rehabilitated apartment complex, they had a very uh, rich distribution. So this person over the course of this five-year cycle of the syndication maybe tripled his money in that. Maybe not quite tripled, but had a very healthy distribution. And here is six, uh, 700 of capital gain, which actually came as a pass through through his investment in a large partnership that owned a major uh, apartment complex. At the same time, he had certain other things. He even pulled money out of his retirement account, almost 100 grand in the same year. And he still, okay, but he still, if you look at the bottom, even with that relatively high distribution, yes, it was not zero taxes, but he did have to pay some in that year. So we don't always have zero. We do have some good uh, sizable taxes, but they happen in a year when you also have a windfall from uh, closed cycles on one of the major passive investments that that person had. Let's look at somebody in a more balanced situation. Third example, this person who we are looking at right now, another investor, lives a what I call a balanced financial life. Balanced means this. This person does not do just real estate. You cannot see that because again, looking at numbers like that, we cannot really know what is behind that. That's a challenge if you are trying to uh, spy on somebody, but that's a beauty if you are trying to uh, arrange your financial affairs and minimize your taxes correctly. This person actually happens to be in another business. I'm not going to tell you what kind of business. The world is small. So, you know, it's always good. So I will avoid naming. But this person is doing something not related to real estate and does not want to uh, get rid of that. 
Well, some people, believe it or not, enjoy things besides real estate, right? Well, I enjoy accounting for what it's worth. So this person's actually involved in something else and making money. In 18, it was 20,000 uh, he made in that non-real estate business and 55,000 in non-real estate business in the most recent year. But where are his portfolios? His portfolio is here. You look at that 40,000, and when there is 40,000 in interest, you can pretty much guess that it's unlikely to come from banks, right? Banks are not paying interest nowadays. So uh, if you guess that that person holds owner-financed properties, your guess will be on point. This person has an owner-financed portfolio and earns pretty significant interest, 40,000 a year, from his owner-financed properties. Yes, well, pretty significant relative to, yes, some of you are making 10 times as much, I know that, and congratulations, but this is still a respectable interest to make from owner-financed properties. Now, you cannot erase interest with uh, normal tax deductions, but let's see what happens for this person. So he has 40,000 from owner-financed interest. He has capital gains because he continues to convert some of his rentals into owner-financed property. So there is a gain when that happens. And he works at other business, which also makes money. So just from there, and we are not even looking at cash flow. See, we know that interest is real cash flow, but we're not looking at cash flow that he has from rental portfolio. It still shows that little bit of negative numbers, right? Like minus 4,000, minus 5,000. 5,000, but really there is cash flow there. But even ignoring that cash flow, he's making 140, 130 a year. And taxes he is paying at the end of the year at the bottom, 6,000. Is it tax-free? No. Is it amount of taxes that you would agree to pay if you are making 140, 130 a year from your investments and from your businesses? plus hidden cash flow from rentals that you cannot see right now. So in reality, making more than that and pay, paying 6,000, I, I would take that. You know, I'm, as an accountant, I cannot drop my taxes down to that level, I wish. Okay, so real estate investments of that person are wisely combined and balanced with everything else. Can he drop it to zero? Yes, for that, he would probably have to stop working in his other non-real estate business, which he doesn't want to do right now. He wants to continue that. And he still lives very close to uh, tax-free wealth. Not exactly at zero, but reasonable approximation, if you ask me. So can everybody do that? That's the question that I often hear, particularly from people who are high earners, people who are making very good money in their professions, doctors, lawyers, engineers, and people who want to grow their portfolio without giving up their actual profession and their high income. The answer is unfortunately not in every case. And here is a typical situation that we see. Look at that. We look here at a married couple of two professionals making a million between them. Look at that salary above. So they are salary. They work in high earning professions. So again, I know who they are, but cannot disclose, but assume that they could be doctors, could be lawyers, could be one of those people with really, uh, really, really high earnings. And 
Uh, if I were them, I probably would also consider, uh, like, would think twice before walking away from jobs that making you a million a year. And they also have a real estate portfolio. Let's look at 18. How much they get to offset their wages from that million, from that million dollar in W2. Here is their rental portfolio. See the number? The number is a very modest, very shy zero, but it is zero. Why? Because as you probably have heard, and if not, then you need to talk about it with your tax accountant and figure out those rules. Those are, those are rules known as passive activity limitations. And what happens here is even though these people have a fairly significant rental portfolio, they cannot offset any of the losses against their million income. Why? Because they are full-time professionals. You have heard probably of the loophole known as a real estate professional status, which is a great loophole, but there is no way they can qualify. Both of those people have full-time jobs, high-paying jobs, so they're stuck. Nothing they can do. Then you can look at the writers. Oh, but they found a way to offset their income with 100,000, okay, 94 of something in 19. Yes, they did, but it was not real estate. Real estate, unfortunately, stays at zero. What this was, this was some of the investments in risky, but still lucrative from tax point oil and gas investments. This is some investments in working uh, wells in oil. So yes, but how much difference did it make? Look, we're offsetting 90,000 against more than a million. So they are still paying, look at the bottom, in 18,300 and 327,19. Brutal taxation, but that's what you are stuck with if you are in that uh, situation of being high-paying professionals. No real estate guru, no real estate tax accountant can save you from that situation if you are not willing to reconsider your, your overall uh, financial situation, for example, reconsider your job and become a full-time investor instead of uh, real estate, uh, instead of uh, non-real estate profession. At the end of my presentation, two slides down, we will actually consider a case specifically like that, somebody who walked away from selling. So hold on, don't, don't go anywhere. We are going to look at that case and that is an interesting case. But before we go there, the question would be, so if you are, working and may uh, as a salaried employee does it mean you are out of luck and nothing you can do and you are stuck with paying those exorbitant amount of taxes maybe in the case of these people that is the answer in the case of the next couple the answer is different so let's look at that and let's figure out why these people are deep what is happening here these people also have Fairly significant, yes, it's not a million, it's 140 and 180, but still significant amount of W-2 income, which normally would preclude these people from taking any deductions from real estate. In 18, that was not a problem. Their rental portfolio actually generated a profit even after depreciation. It's still like positive 2,000. In 19, it's a negative 25, which normally would not be allowed at that level. So the, your question is, are they real estate professionals? Actually, no, they would not qualify and they did not need in this particular case. But before we analyze it, let's look at the bottom. How much they pay? 
They are paying 10 and 14,000 respectively in those two years. 10,000 on 140 W2 income, 14 on 180 W2 income, well below even 10%. Pretty decent rate if you ask me. And if you ask even with all of these adjustments, yes, income is 170 to 180. They are making money, they are not losing money uh, like that unfortunate wholesaler I showed you on the first slide, but they are uh, making good money and paying very, very little taxes compared to their income. So how did they manage to do that while being W2? Well, that happened to deal with their investments in various partnerships and the fact and an interesting combination of the tax rule in those years. We don't have time right now to go into technical details, but what I want to uh, what I want to point out in this example is this: this particular person cannot expect to have that same situation continue in the year 2020 unless something happens similar to what happened in 18 and 19. What happened? You may want to ask us. Here is what happened. There were some sales of properties, as you can see from capital gains. And when those properties were sold and capital gains popped up, two things happened. First is they were allowed to pick up some of the past losses from their investments, but those losses are not unlimited. Those losses are getting used up and eventually these people will run out of them. But another good thing that happened, so they were able to utilize some old losses. You may not have those losses. If they did not have old losses, they wouldn't have that minus 111 or minus 125. So speaking back for a second, uh, circling back to Trump's return, allegedly this is what is happening on Trump's return. Some past losses, that real losses from old investments that carried for multiple years forward. Okay, I have not seen Trump's returns and don't wish to, but those returns I do know. So here is what happened is there are past losses that got released. What also happened is there was an interesting interplay of those things that dropped their rates that ended up basically in their salary being taxed as capital gains at a rate which ended up at a total below 10%. How that happened is a very technical and interesting discussion. I hope that you have access to somebody like me uh, who is not just a tax preparer, not somebody who plugs your numbers on your tax return and gives you a result. Here is how much you owe, but can strategize with you, discuss different options. This is the service that we do in our company and where we can explain to you why those things happen, how you in your particular situations with your portfolio may benefit from that and what changes you might want to consider because this is strictly case by case. The reason I brought it up is just saying is he, two people in high W2 situations are in very different situations. One are suffering, one couple is suffering, the other one is not so much, but there is no automatic transition from here to here. So where transition happens, we have that last example that I'm going to show you. Here is a very interesting case of one of the real clients who finally built up a portfolio and decided enough of my W2 job. So look at 18. We had a person who was having a well-paid W2 job at 160 and there is zero, zero salary in 19 because at the end of the, that 18, he finally was able to do what many of you guys 
are hoping to accomplish. Walking to your boss office and saying is, you are seeing me for the last time, I'm not coming in here anymore. So how does this person leave then? Okay, what happening here? Let's look. First, there is a significant interest dividend income. What is that? As you probably guessed again, yes, we do have a lot of owner financed properties in this portfolio. Next one is we are having business income. What is business income here? Business income here is from the fact that that person is doing something with real estate that is not passive investments. What are not passive investments in real estate? That would be your wholesaling. That would be your flips. That would possibly be your consulting. I cannot tell you exactly what this person is doing. Again, you know, no identifying clues of who that person might be. But as you can see, the income is dropping, which also means that person is not only dropping the salaried work, decided to go more passive and start doing less of active work. But as you can see, even with active work, his taxes are almost nothing right now. 6,000 as opposed to 84 the year before. The person went from 84 down to six. So what do we have right now? We still have something in the rental portfolio. And you can see this again. The year before he had 22,000. What happened here? Why do we have suddenly minus 75? Does it mean that all of his properties went uh, vacant suddenly? No. But what we decided to do here is because of the strategy of where that person is going, we implemented one of these powerful strategies that is known as cost segregation. And this is what happened to this person in 19. So he dropped his salary. He started walking away from his active real estate business. We did some creative work on his rental portfolio. And even though his passive investments, look at that, he still holds interest in multiple syndications which provide him good cash flow, like see, over 100, 130 to 125 a year, that still holds. And even after that, even with 160 of taxable income, his taxes are around six grand as opposed to 84 before when he worked like that. Again, if you're asking this, can you do that? Maybe, maybe not. That's where uh, somebody like us come into play. As Arthur mentioned in the introduction, uh, I'm uh, the founder of REI Tax Firm and the name REI speaks to the fact that it's real estate investment focused company. In fact, we only exclusively work with real estate investors and no other type of clients. And we don't do tax returns. What we do is comprehensive advisory program where tax planning is included, where we will try to see how close you can get to the dream of tax-free wealth, help you grow your real estate business. Of course, we also take care of things like your taxes, your IRS problems, if any, your bookkeeping, and a lot of that stuff. And below, you can see how to contact us. Very easy, reitaxfirm.com. Okay, I guess, Arthur, we have time for some questions, right? Yes, thank you so much, Michael, for the wonderful um, talk. It's been enlightening that it really is a case-to-case -case basis. Wow. It, it so this time, I, yes. And this time, I'm going to give the floor to Eliza to facilitate the question and answer portion. 
whatever questions you may have, now is the time. It's not every day we get to have a tax expert with us, you know, focus on the real estate investment community. All right. Um, we will go ahead and take some time for a few questions now. Um, just a reminder, if um, you have questions, please um, type in your questions in the chat box and or Q&A icon in your um, control panel. So uh, previously, we have a question from Andres. I think this is intended for Jason. Um, during the da- uh, during the presentation of data, is that for a single family listing trend? And how is the trend for small apartments, Jason? Yeah, so all of the data I presented comes from the MLS, which is primarily uh, for single family homes. Um, there's not a whole lot of rental information that we track on there. So uh, if there's interest in it and we get enough uh, need for it, it could be something that we pull. But uh, right now, it's not something that we have a whole lot of access to. Okay, thank you. Um, do we have... Uh, any question from for uh, Michael? That's my most perfect presentation ever. I answered all <laughs> the questions. Yeah, I think so. Um, I also love how you presented different scenarios and different situations, and that's um, you know that really um, demonstrates on to really consult. Uh, experts, because it, everything is really on a case-to-case basis, and I think you have um, brought that home, uh, that that point home very, very well. Oh, it looks like we have a question. Uh-oh. Yes, Deborah. I didn't have time to disconnect. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, um, we have a question also from Ah, yeah, from Deborah. Ah, sorry. Um, Please continue your question, Deborah. Okay, let me read it. Okay, I can read it. Okay, so we have 120 to 150K in passive income from syndication would require very high investment amount itself, isn't it? Uh, yeah, well, the short answer, the short answer is yes. Okay, to have a, there is no free lunch. Uh, in in anything, okay? So if you want to have uh, passive income from anything, okay? If you want to have passive income, I have a diagram, which I probably won't be able to find uh, real quick right now uh, to share on my screen. Uh, So I will try to describe that and then uh, circle back to what uh, Deborah uh, said. Uh, On that diagram, and that was from my tax class, uh, which I taught for many years, uh, we had different scenarios of how people make money. What I did is I listed side by side. I'm saying is, okay, here is, uh, and we use 60,000 as an example uh, to try to make it apples to apples. Here we have 60,000 you're making as a salary. Here you're making 60,000 as commissions. Here you're making 60,000 as a realtor. Here you're making 60,000 as uh, rental part rental part uh, from rents we on mortgaged properties and the last one here you're making 60,000 of rent on free and clear properties and then we looked at the cash flow and the taxation and then everybody discovered 
that the last of these examples, the very last one, which had 60,000 worth of rent on uh, free and clear properties is the best situation. You actually have a cash flow, positive cash flow. You don't have a mortgage interest expense and your taxes on that were pretty much non-existent. And everybody said, it's like, okay, great. So why not everybody is in that situation? Like, this is the best. We compare the alternative and everybody said, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'm in that salary box. I'm in that commissions box. I'm with mortgage properties box, which has zero taxes, mortgage property, but also doesn't have such a good cash flow because you have that service, right? So why not everybody and people like, every time I asked it in a class, I was shocked that people are stumbled and saying, it's like, yeah, we need to be there. And then the question comes is, okay, but how do you get a portfolio of free and clear properties. Yes, that in, that in itself takes cash. So if you already had a million in cash to start with, yes, you can be in that situation, but you first need to get a million in cash, for which you might need to have a W2 job first to be a wholesaler, you know, generate some capital in some way and for a while be in financed properties. There is nothing wrong with financed properties. But the cash flow is not going to be as good, of course, as you can get with free and clear. So there is no free lunch. And back to what Deborah said is, yes, if you are trying to generate 100, 150K in passive income, yes, you have that does not come from nothing. You probably had to invest significant amount from, uh, from your uh, cash uh, savings. And of course, we didn't mention at all self-directed IRAs and all of that, that is a completely different conversation that we did not touch at all. Okay, there was a question that I saw and it disappeared, no? Um, we have another question from Joanna Priest. Um, are notes always taxed as capital gains, owner finance notes? Are notes taxed as capital gains, owner finance notes? Okay. Um, no taxation would take me much more than half an hour to, to explain. That's a very complicated topic, but let's, uh, on a very high level, we are talking about which of the two nodes. There are two types of nodes. You have self-generated nodes that result when you own the property and sold it with owner financing. And then you have properties that you invest into by buying actual node. And that's, and issues with that are very different. So when you have your own note, when you had a rental property, you sold it with owner financing. So there is a capital gain on you when you sell the property. And if it was a rental property, that capital gain is spread over the time that you, so if you owner financed it for 15 years, then that capital gain will be paid over 15 years. On the note itself, you are getting interest. Interest is taxed as ordinary income, regular income at regular tax bracket that you are in and there is not much we can do to uh, get away from that. Taxation of notes that you buy as notes is a very, very complicated topic. It depends whether we're talking about performing or non-performing notes and we, will, and we really don't have time to go into that right yeah. now. If you are in that situation, I suggest that you get uh, good professional guidance in what you are doing with notes. Okay. 
Uh, thanks for that, Michael. Another from Deborah. If gift a promissory note to my two daughters, would I have to pay all the capital gains on the same home it was sold on installments? I want to make sure I can still pay the gain yearly and not in one year. If you give the promissory note, okay. This is... Uh, uh, this is a question that is that is actually loaded uh, because there are a lot of layers to that that we could go into. There are issues like that whole thing about gifting can even circle all the way back is if you are like, what actually was the selling price at that point? So, uh, let me think for a second, if there is something from that question that I can make into a useful, uh, into a useful answer for uh, everybody who is listening to us, uh, uh, rather than go into these specifics, because here is a scenario uh, that, we are talk uh, that we are talking about. So we have, we have a house and the house has been uh, sold on installments. And on installments, it means this is, okay, so I had a house, uh, the house was worth 200. I sold it to Arthur and Arthur only gave me 10 grand down payment. And now he still owes me 190. So I have a promissory note for 190. And then I gift for some reason as an ally, I will use the, you for a, for a second as my daughter. No offense to your parents, just, just for that. <laughs> just for that. Yeah, okay. sure. If Eliza was my daughter, what I'm doing is I'm saying is, oh, you know what? I don't want to collect 190 from Arthur. Mm -hmm. I will let Eliza collect that. I'm gifting her. So what are the what are the tax consequences like in inter in interplay of that? So uh, for that, like basically, what happens to the capital gain? that uh, to the capital gain. So I feel if I feel correctly where that question is going is this. So I dumped my like collection of that note to my daughter, Eliza. She's going to be receiving those payments. Does it also mean that I dumped on her tax obligations related to that note? Because that note carries with that interest and capital gains. So did I transfer it to her? And the answer is most likely yes. But I have to stay with most likely because it is a, it's a minefield and there are a lot of things there that are not that easy. So can you devise a strategy where you are trying to move that, to solve it like that and move that income to your family members? That goes into a more general question. Can I assign any income to my family members? Can I shift like those strategies are called income shifting, income shifting strategies where you are trying to move it from you to somebody in your family in a lower tax bracket. There are legitimate strategies that work like that. And there are scams that do not work like that. Like for example, to show you what would not work. Now in this case, it might work if done right. What would not work is this. Let's say I'm a wholesaler and generating all of that income and I'm having 100 grand in assignment fees during the year and I don't want to pay taxes on that. So what I'm saying is, okay, why don't you pay half of those to Eliza? 
who did not do anything, but was just lucky to be a daughter of a successful wholesaler. Can I do that and put half of that income under her bracket as opposed to mine? Cannot do it legally. That would be fraudulent. That would not work if uh, pursued by the IRS. It would only work if Eliza legitimately worked in my business. If she really worked for me, then I have some strategies to do that. But for that, she needs to legitimately work for me. In the case of passive things like notes that we discussed, yes, it's possible to accomplish that, but not, not uh, by signing on two paragraph document downloaded from the internet. You know, need, need, needs to be done right. All right, probably let's have one more question before we go. Yes, Liza? Yeah. Um, another question here. Um, actually, they have a lot of questions for you, Michael. Um, but uh, another question here. In general, I understood that being full-time passive real estate investor is the best way to go for tax purposes. Is this correct? I would say that I would take that statement farther than that, further than that. What I'm going to say is being a passive active being a being a passive active. How about that? Speaking from both sides of my mouth. Being a passive real estate investor is not only the best way from tax perspective. I would I would dare to claim that that's the best way to build your wealth, period. Okay. Short of an alternative of being passive investor in non-real estate. You can be a passive investor in businesses. You know, you can go like Mark Cuban way or Warren Buffett way. Warren Buffett also has real estate investments, of course, so does Mark Cuban. But I'm saying, yes, you can also passively invest in businesses. But other than that, passive investments in real estate, from what I know, is the single best vehicle to build your wealth while minimizing your taxes at the same time, all the way to possibly zero. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so sorry. That's all the time we have. But we're going to encourage you to go and visit Michael Plack's website. It's just actually his name, michaelplax.com. And I think his website is giving out a free ebook yeah. about deductions. And I think that, that's a. That's a, that's a uh, yeah. Sorry, that's and a, there's that's also. The, that's the website, uh, which is the best to go to the website of my firm. Yes. Okay, so there we have it, www.reitaxfirm.com. Um, it's amazing how I wish that we had more time, but, you know, we're going to consider maybe inviting Michael again in one of our future episodes. So thank you so much, Liza. Michael, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, guys. And we look forward to seeing you again in our future episode of uh, Real Estate Investing Hot Trends. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your evening. Bye-bye. Thanks Thank everybody. you, Jason. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Jeff. For webinar schedules, follow us at our official social media accounts or visit us at www.realestateiq.co.